Welcome to Your Partner in Success Radio, a program that values the potential of knowledge, collaboration, and growth. The show is hosted by Denise Griffiths, who is known as an intensely curious nerd in stilettos. Each Wednesday, she is joined by co-host Ben Gay III, a renowned figure in the sales world. Ben is recognized for introducing The Closers, one of the most popular and powerful sales training materials ever produced. Having been mentored by Dr. Napoleon Hill himself, Ben has gained a wealth of knowledge in sales and life. Throughout the show, Denise and Ben delve into the world of sales, entrepreneurship, and success. Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Closers Inner Circle podcast hosted by your partner in Success Radio. I am your host, Denise Griffiths, and together with my co-host, Ben Gay III, we're diving into the world of sales mastery with a gym from the Closers Part 2. These books, one and two, are widely known as the sales Bibles. And our topic today is a fun one. We're opening up the Closers Part 2, page 93, Study Robin Hood, I love that title, where we dive into the critical sales personas, the amateur, the fearful, and the grateful. We're also going to discuss how recognizing and nurturing these types can transform sales strategies and outcomes. Now, the last two episodes, we were working from page 137, and that was from the chapter titled, Watch Your Mouth. Another one, I love the title. And they were dedicated to the importance of communication. So if you haven't listened in yet, be sure to settle in with both episodes and then send us any questions you have about the topic. We always enjoy hearing from you and answering your questions on the show. Ben, welcome. It's Wednesday. I love chatting with you each week. Me too. Uh, You're one of my favorite people, as you know. Uh, And it's my honor to be with you every Wednesday and in between during the week when we check in with each other. You are a special person. Thank you. And right back at you. And I love your wife. And I'm so glad that she likes me, too. (laughs) (laughs) I don't need any any stumbling blocks getting to you. So thank (laughs) you. We're all friends. But it's um I love these books. I've had them on on my not my desk, but there's a special shelf in my library. I have this whole library of entrepreneurial books in here. And there's a special shelf where the books that I grab the most live. And I can be anywhere on my desk, near my desk, under my desk, and still grab those books. I mean, they are to hand and I read them a lot. So what are we talking about today? What's what's on your mind? Well, the uh, announced subject of the uh, session is uh, the Robin Hood concept, uh, study Robin Hood. That comes from a, you you would question, you know, where'd you get that title? Uh, One of the old Southern comedians, either Brother Dave Gardner or Louis Grizzard, I forget who it was, asked the rhetorical question to an audience I was in one day. Robin Hood stole from the rich and gave to the poor. Why did he do that? And uh, he paused for a second. He said, the poor didn't have anything. It's one of those things lodges in your your brain and won't go away. And uh, so it's become one of my catchphrases over the years. And uh, I just love it. But there's a lot of truth in it, in that salespeople have a tendency by not qualifying their prospects 
I'm not talking about prejudging, qualifying their prospects. They spend an enormous amount of time with people who couldn't possibly buy their product or wouldn't uh, wouldn't have it if it were free. I saw something on television the other day. I forget what it was. And they said, how much would you pay for this? And I said, how much would you pay me to take it? I have no interest in whatever it was. It would just be something else to store. And uh, so qualification is important. And uh, one of the reasons I've figured out over the years that salespeople do that is the people who have no money or aren't qualified to, to buy your product will spend inordinate amount of time with you because you're not a threat to them. They know in their heart when you're through with your little presentation, they're either not going to buy or can't buy. Same difference, I guess. Uh, it's not. A, it may not be an objection. It might be a condition. So they'll chat with you and have fun with you and laugh. And you think you're having a wonderful time, not realizing what you're doing is just wasting time that would be better spent getting to someone who can buy. And uh, so that oversimplified is the concept. Spend your time with people who could buy if you, if you had, if they had a need or you could create a need and you have an effective, probably scripted, sales presentation. We were talking about scripting, you and I, not long ago. Let me touch on one little thing because people say, oh, I hate scripts. You know, well, do you go to the movies? Uh, <laughs> do you watch television? Even on the news, do you realize they're reading off of a teleprompter? So uh, you are subjected to well-crafted scripts all the time. And anyone who's been in selling over 30 days is on a script because people tend to do the same thing over and over and over again. And if it has even a modicum of success, uh, they will repeat that and repeat that and repeat that. So when I say scripting, what I'm talking about is a well-crafted, tested, then refined script that works reliably and the trick is to get it up as high as you possibly can percentage wise and then the clarification i want to make was what i'm really talking about is script chunks and a script chunk is the part it might be just answering a question the answer should be scripted tested refined uh the uh Consistent. Yeah, consistent because it works consistently effective. Now, we used to give in the old days, I gave, and, and I would do it again today if I was still in that business. We gave from the front of the room a 37 minute word for word sales presentation. And then we showed a film about why you ought to join the business. And of course, the film was scripted. A, it was scripted. <laughs> the famous uh, actor Jeff Hunter who played Christ in King of Kings. He was the spokesman uh, in that film for the company. So the whole hour, the 37 minute from the front of the room live and Jeff Hunter, every word of it for an hour was scripted. So, but I'm not talking about, hi, my name is Ben Gay, glad to meet you. And then I talk for 37 minutes. I'm talking about uh, what we teach sales infiltration, starting on page 257 in the closers part two. What I'm talking about there is script chunks 
meaning the most effective way to answer that question. It may come out of the 37-minute script, but you don't have to do the whole presentation every time you open your mouth. But the effect, you know, somebody will ask me, what's the difference between the closers part two and, and part one? I said, well, the closers part one is the kicks, the blocks, the punches, the red meat of selling, selling the way it really is, not the way we wish it was. The closers part two picks, off, picks uh, up where part one leaves off and shows you what sophisticated people really do with that information. Cary Grant said the secret of acting was not to get caught at it. That's also the secret of selling. Now, what I just said to you about the difference between part one and part two was word for word what I have said to people thousands of times. It's scripted. Uh, probably in one of our earlier sessions, we've gotten near that. And I, if I said it and somebody has saved their recording to go back, you could play them simultaneously over each other. It would sound like the Mormon, uh, Mormon Tabernacle Choir. I haven't timed it. I don't know how long that lasts, but it's probably less than a minute. But it is the response. Every, every time I give that, people go, oh, it, it clears it up. I've tested it and tested it and refined it. It clears it up. So they then know. I've even told, I, I don't mean to sound like I only did it once. I do it frequently. The Robin Hood story to qualified to prospects. When I'm trying to figure out if they're qualified or not, I'll say, you know, there was an old comedian in, in Atlanta. It was either Louis Grizzard or Brother Dave Gardner. And they used to say that the reason Robin Hood stole from the rich and gave to the poor was the poor didn't have anything. And they'll laugh. And I said, so before we tie up a whole lot of your time or mine, if I don't already know whether they're qualified or not, before we tie up a lot of your time and or mine, let me ask you a few questions. And then I qualify them right then. And if they're, it's really interesting. If I can sense they're trying to qualify, it means they want in. And uh, I really just want the information, but I can sense when they're trying, oh, yeah, I have the money. You know, that's that's not a problem. I have the need. And I have a place to put it and, you know, so on. They're trying to qualify to be able to buy. And uh, that that's even better. But the trick is to discover who they are, know who you are, and give an effective, practiced, presentation to address those needs and a good script will bring out the next question i can guide it they they think we're talking back and forth i'm guiding them to, from this question answer to that question answer to this question answer to get me in position to use my favorite clothes which as you know is well based on what we've discussed and or based on what you've said whichever one fits the situation better uh, here's what I suggest we do. I emphasize we more in just then than I did in a real presentation, but my point is I'm a sales infiltrator. I get inside the organization and the prospect's mind as quickly as I can so that we are we. No offense if you don't buy, if that wasn't necessary to solve your problem, or it turns out you didn't have the problem, that's fine. Uh, we're in this together. And as I've told you many times, I have customers that go back 50 and 60 years. 
uh, and some that bought for the first time yesterday or this morning. But, but that doesn't make any difference. I'm always looking for the long term. I've gotten to the age where a new customer today, I won't be dealing with 50 or 60 years from now. I'll be a fond memory perhaps in his or her mind, but I, it's long-term selling. I've told you the story of the car thing. If the guy who sold me my first new car, a 1972 Volkswagen, had stayed with me and followed up, I don't blame him for not doing it. I was just a kid. I was, uh, what was it, 30 years old. Uh, well, that was a Corvette, pardon me, uh, a 1968. So I was less, I was in my uh, late teens, early 20s. And he probably didn't have a whole lot of reason to look at me as a long-term situation. But had he stayed in touch with me today, we would call it drip marketing. He didn't have to call up and try and sell me something every 30 days. Just stay in touch. Remind me you're alive. He would have sold and or leased to me over 600 luxury automobiles because that's how many I've bought or leased uh, since that day starting a couple of years later, he would have he would have potentially had all that business and one one retired and then later died. Uh, the, the second one retired. And I don't do that much anymore. But uh, the 600 plus automobiles that I bought or leased were spread out among two people. Grand total, two people, two people treated me right. Now, if I'd kept a log along the way, I probably had reason to be in contact with and could have done business with another 20 or 30 automobile salespeople, but they don't even cross my mind. I don't have names. I don't have faces because they treated me as a one-time transaction or because I didn't buy, just probably threw my prospect card in the trash can before I got out of the building. So gotcha. qual qualify them. Understand you can't get blood out of a rock. Uh, you can't, uh, but you can stay in touch with the rock. It may have blood in the future. You can put it in your pocket and treat it yeah, like a big exactly. Make it a <laughs> talisman. That's exactly right. And, you know, the thing about talking with people, and you just reminded me of something that's happened in, in the last couple of weeks with me, and it goes back, but all of a sudden, I've had four conversations, four, count them. I'm still counting them going, this did not happen, but it did. All of a sudden, I've had four conversations, three of, of which, I mean, and they're all 10 or, years, 10 or more years older from my original contact with them or the original work that I did with them. All three of them are now working with me. We've signed the contracts. We're with three, boom, boom, boom. The fourth one, again, in that 10-year you know, arena, if you, I can't even come up with the word, but that 10 year time frame contacted me on uh, Facebook and she was my guest. Oh God, 150 years ago, since I've been doing this for so long. And we, she said, I don't think you remember me, but I was your guest on your partner. And I said, sure, of course I remember you. And she had, had gone way underground. She had some health issues I think and she's coming back and I suspect that she wants me to bring her back on the show and I probably will once I see what she's up to now but all of these people three women one male 
10 years or better, and they all popped up at the same time. It is a long, long game. And that doesn't mean that I'm playing a game with them. It just means that I stayed in front of them. I kept in touch with them. And here we go again. Absolutely. And that's, I've told you my drip marketing is not, usually not aimed at selling them something in particular. Right. It's, just, it's just saying, hi, I'm still alive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in there case is, you were I, wondering you I'm still here can you hear me now silly <laughs> <laughs> commercial but yeah you can't just say well you know I'm not doing what I used to be doing and blah blah blah, blah. I'm just going to go quiet while I rebuild or while I do something different now you have to start over mm-hmm. but it's just and I had another client and I could not talk her out of doing something that I thought and continue to think was remarkably silly and she's like I just don't like social media I don't know why she didn't you know she didn't touch it I did and her her office manager did and it was beautiful social media but she wants to close her business I know what you're going to say she wants to slow down go smaller and close her business or sell it in a few years I just slapped my head on my desk and said okay good luck (laughs) You can't argue with that kind of finality. And yeah, I like her. I've known her for years, but what she was doing to me was just remarkably silly. But you can't tell somebody that, well, that's just stupid. Well, you can. Yeah, I do. Don't tell them more than once or twice. (laughs) I I I was sad to see her do. Yeah. But, you know, she, if she ever does want to sell that business, and apparently she does. All they've got is a website. That's it. They don't have reviews. They don't have anything. It's all gone. She shut it down. And I'm still sick over it. The, uh, it's reminding me, I'll leave his and her name out of it, but a famous uh, author, a little long in the tooth now, but still alive and kicking. His wife called me. Uh, I don't know. This is probably a year or two ago now and wanted to sell their business to me. Well, I've been in the publishing business a long time. I know behind the scenes, you know, I didn't know when I got in the publishing business with the closers, what we now call part one, that the average book sells 500 copies, including those that you give away at Christmas to relatives. Yeah, the ones that live in your basement or your garage. Right, the rest of them are in the garage over in the corner. Right. I've given, I, I gave the, approved the seal of approval of the National Association of Professional Salespeople to the surviving son of a dear friend of mine in a book I'm very fond of. Uh, and I said, you, you're going to get the NAPS sticker and, uh, you know, uh, seal of approval and so on. He said, oh, thank you. And I, I said, I can feel your lack of enthusiasm. Do you understand it appears on the covers of millions of books in the sales and marketing field, which is where his book is that his father wrote. And he said, yeah. I said, well, when you reprint it next, I'm sending you the artwork. You stick it on the book. And he said, Ben, I, I don't think you understand. Uh, with dad gone and not out doing speeches and so on, uh, I probably have uh 500 copies, if that. He said, I haven't counted them a long time. Uh, but I would call it a lifetime supply. So, oh, no. so, yeah, well, books come and go. You got to keep pushing and promoting. Businesses come and go. You got to 
keep pushing, promoting. This lady who called me wanted to sell me uh, their business. I said, what is your business? I mean, I knew that he had written several popular books years ago. And he said, well, it's those books. And I said, I'm, I've been in this business a long time. Let me tell you what you have. You have, two, I knew of three books he'd written. You have three piles of books, probably in your garage. And the case you're in now, when you take out a book to ship it somewhere, uh, you've been in that case for probably a year, uh, certainly six months. And she had this, she said something that sounded like, have you been in my garage? Do you know? <laughs> and I said, Anybody no. Anybody who is an author knows. <laughs> yeah. I, I said, I, I, got, I got the picture and you have nothing to sell. No offense. You have nothing to sell. Uh, you've got some good books, but uh, lots of people have good books that are not read because they, they haven't uh, marketed them properly. They haven't kept them alive. And I said, in fact, in your case, please don't be offended. You've said something to me that tells me he's still alive. Uh, I thought he had died. Oh. Ha haven't thought of the book in years. Right. Uh, and although I have, I think all three of his books uh, on a book, you know, bookshelf somewhere, uh, read them all. It's good stuff, but he hasn't kept himself alive in front of people, waving his arms. Hello, I'm still alive. I'm still here. The book is still available. Maybe revised, you know, change two words and put revised on the cover. Um, but they haven't done that. So they just fade away. So your friend who wants to slow down, she hasn't seen what slow down means yet. Oh, no, she stomped the brakes hard. Yeah. I don't know. And I did try to reason with her. And I was even kind and compassionate about it. I mean, I was getting really not upset, but worried, very, very worried. Yeah. Yeah. And I was trying to explain what the long term you know, prognosis for this is she said, well, it's too late now. I had my assistant delete it. And I went, oh, that's not what I said. I said, oh, you know, and a word <laughs> after that. And I said, okay, good luck to you. What, what can you do? You just killed off any reasonable chances of selling that business. You might be able to sell the, the building. That's about it. This lady I'm referring to, uh, when she, we started the conversation, only wanted $2 million Oh, for, the, for the rights to three or four books, whatever it is. Uh, and she said, and you can have all the inventory. I said, okay, well, there's hard printing costs. There's four or $500 right there. Uh, now, how do we go from there to 2 million? <laughs> well, well, you know, it's, I said, no, that's the point. I didn't know. I thought you guys were out of business and he was dead. Ow. But well, you're right. Tricky. I mean, yeah, I know. I'm not arguing with you. I'm yeah. just thinking from her, her hearing that she was probably saying, oh, like I was, <laughs> like, oh, <gee." laughs> but, you know, probably under her breath. But listen, some of the best books that I've got in, in this room, my entrepreneurial library, some of them are quite elderly in terms of how we, you know, churn them out these days. But if they're really good. And I'm reminded, and what you said is just so, so important, I'm reminded that I've got that book because I've got hundreds of books in here. 
I've read them. I've reviewed most of them. I'm still reviewing some of them. But once they go on that shelf, I'm one of those, you know, I'm not a hoarder, but if I were, you could turn me out of sight, out of mind. I've forgotten already that I've got it. I've got, you just have too much stuff around these days. But if I see somebody's, you know, there's, oh, I've got a new book or they're pulling something from the old book. I'm like, oh, I've got that. And off I go with my little flashlight because, you know, those bookcases are crammed and I have to have a, my flashlight shining on those st- the binders, not the binders, but, you know, the end, whatever, <laughs> the end of it, the edge of it. I can't talking, about the, talking about the spine? Yeah, this, yes, that's it. All right, Thank good. You. And... <laughs> It's going to be a long day already, but I, and I, I'll go, ooh, 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 let me go see and I'll read the book again, or I'll pick something out of it that was important to me back then because they've got sticky notes in them and, you know, bookmarks and I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that. And I may go write a blog post about it. It may send me off on another track entirely, but you have to remind me. When I go back to reread a book or review a book for some reason, one of the advantages I have is with most books that I've read, they're highlighted, the points that jump out at me or notes over in the margin. We've discussed this. You come from the school. You shouldn't mark up a book. It's sacrilege. Yeah. <laughs> I, I come from the school. I bought it. I knew whatever the hell I want to do with it. Yeah. So, but the good news is, in my case, with the marked up highlighted books, I don't have to read the whole book again. I might scan parts of it. But what I have to read is the highlighted parts that I really enjoyed the first time I read it. And uh, so that saves me a lot of time, also enables me to find things. And then I have my uh, Ben Gay bookmarks, uh, which are all over my office in other people's books. Because if there's some key point I want to highlight it, I'll stick a, a Ben Gay bookmark in there. So again, I can get to it quickly. Uh, someday I ought to hire somebody to come in and become a court reporter for me and go through all the things and pull out the highlighted stuff. And then we can give the books away. One of the things I smile, I have a large library having given away over 5,000 books at one time, plus the books I've given away off and on over the years. Uh, I find that we build trophy cases to ourselves. Look how smart I am. See all those books. And uh, then I got to thinking one day in a conversation with somebody I respect, who I can't think of right now, but somebody who I respect said. See, I worry out. I can't think you can't think. That's a trophy case to how smart you are. He said, are you ever really going to read them again? I said, well, from time to time. And he's looking at all those books, you know, approaching in one room 5,000. And uh, he, he said, realistically, you're going to read them again. And I said, well, most of them, no. And he said, why don't you go through and pull out the really good ones? How I Found Freedom and Unfree World by Harry Brown will never leave my possession. It is a life-changing book. So it survived every purge I've been through. And there's probably another 50 that sort of fall into that category. The rest of them, I thought to myself after that conversation, if you really like the messages in it or even parts of the message, why are you hoarding it and keeping it from someone who could really benefit from it? 
So that was the what pushed me over the edge and enabled me to cleanse. And I'm coming up on another cleansing. GT has pointed out to me uh, that we're, we're about back to where we were because I get two, three, four complimentary review copies of books every day, and there's no way I can keep up. So I, the obvious goofball ones go in a box that head to the library uh, when the when the boxes fill up. Uh, some go into the reading scanning pile piles. I have five of them that I read out of on a regular basis. And then they go to the bookcases in my office. And that's where they sit untouched, mostly. Uh, so those are the ones that I finally got over and thought, you know, this is this could be life changing for someone, but they're not going to break into my office and steal the book. I yeah. need to give it to them. Well, like you, I get a lot of books in the mail. I'm always, you know, when when I hear the UPS guy, you know, slam his door and my dog's mom, there's somebody <laughs> here. <laughs> and I head out to the door and I grab a box of books. And I don't get as many as you do, but I get a considerable number. And I've realized recently that I've got multiples of many books mm -hmm. um, because the agency, I'm contacted mostly by agencies, PR agencies and booking agencies and the book will get sent to me just automatically. I don't even have to ask for it anymore. But then once I have my pre-interview for the podcast, the the author wants to send me an author craft books. And those are the ones that I really want. So I have a stack of books that I'm like, these are too good to give to the library. I mean, they're, they're great business books, but I was talking with one of my clients the other day and he was talking about one of the books that I had reviewed and I said, you know, I think I have an extra one. So I put together a book, I think five or six books that are winging their way to Michigan. He's so excited. He's like, have they been mailed yet? Have they been mailed yet? <laughs> Give me a minute. <laughs> get, get <laughs> but, you know, sometimes you do just have to share them. And I wanted to say, too, you know, and this poor lady, God bless her. There's other ways to read these books rather than have them, as I do and you do, crammed into to bookshelves and, you know, stacked on the floor. I will honestly, if, if you've got your book and it's on Kindle, if it's on unlimited, I read it. And there's a great way to highlight, you know, those you yellow highlight it, <clears throat> blue highlight it. You can take pictures of it and send them to your mail. You know, oh, I'm constantly sending, yeah, I am constantly highlighting a book on Kindle and, you know, sending it over to my Gmail. Then I have a folder that I keep and then I send the book back. If it's, you know, Kindle Unlimited, if it's something that I already own, I, I like to read them. I like the, to have them in my hand and I also like them on Kindle. So there's various ways, but don't discount having your book on Kindle because people are going to take pictures of the, you know, the pieces. They're like, oh, oh that's brilliant. They're going to they're going to keep that. Well, excellent advice. I was thinking of talking about worthless books. Uh, Jimmy Carter's memoirs. Uh, I forget what it was called. Peanuts or something. I don't uh, know. I scanned through it. I started to read it, and then I realized uh, he was not one of my. And I and I say this knowing that he may pass away as we're speaking. He's I know. in hospice and so on. He was a wonderful ex-president. Uh, he's he, a he's a great humanitarian. He's a good right. guy, yep. lousy president. Yeah, 
So anyway, I'm reading his memoirs or whatever it was, and uh, nothing, nothing, nothing. So I'm pretty good speed reader and scanner. I started flipping through the pages. It looked like the wind was turning the pages. And then I came across a life-changing sentence. It's the only one in the book. He was sitting in the Plains Baptist Church one morning and a place I used to visit frequently in the grocery business when I lived in Atlanta and uh, not the church, the town. And uh, uh, he said he was sitting in the Plains Baptist Church and the minister said, if you were arrested today and charged with being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? I've seen that quote before. Yeah, I thought, whoa. And it's also not only a great thing in Christianity, it's a great thing in if you were arrested today and charged with being a salesperson. Exactly. Would there be enough? An author, a successful business person, would there be enough? You know, so I've twisted that around. So that's another endorsement of the reading concept. And I, I'm just, I can't stop reading. Uh, uh, I have, you can't go to bed at night without reading. I can't fall asleep. No. Can't. Yeah, same thing. I have a reading stack next to my bed, stack, probably 10 books at any given time. And I'm working off the top. New one comes in. I decide, does it go there to the uh, office stack, to the bathroom stack, to my briefcase or car is what it's really designed for. Uh, or my other, I've got two desk areas, the computer area and the old fashioned desk area. And each one has a stack of books. So people say, I don't have time to read. Oh, Let me follow you around for a day with a clipboard and I'll find four or five hours for you to read. Mm -hmm. If you're prepared, but you got to be prepared and ready. Like you said, so many of the books that you like and refer to and so on are within arm's reach. Oh, um, that's deliberate. I yeah, know me them. too. I love them and I want to delve back in. And honestly, you and I have talked about this and other people I speak with who are voracious readers who are dedicated. The thing is, you can pick up a book and I do this with the closers part two all the time. I'll pick something up and I've read that book. I can't tell you how many times I've read it or piecemealed it or just, you know, flipped open to a page and there was something I will always find something I'll say. How did I miss that? Or, perfect, that's exactly what I was looking for at this time in this place. There's well, always something there. You're a different person than you were the first time you read exactly. it. Yeah. Exactly. So I, different the, perspective. The old saying, people are fond of quoting like it's a coincidence. They say that when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Well, let me explain that for those who perhaps look at it the way most people do, coincidental. The teacher was always there, always. You were finally ready to receive what they've always been saying. So the first time you read a book, you may not have been ready for that or didn't need that or what have you. That doesn't mean read the whole book cover to cover again. Again, in my case, I refer to the highlighted pages. And if something really catches my eye, might add some highlighted ones to it. But it's the constant input of learning. Uh, I'm complimented by people say, you're such a good conversationalist. Uh, how, how do you know all that stuff? I, I read <laughs> constantly. 
I, I read anything, everything. Yeah. I have a yeah. cereal box. I don't own cereal. But if there's a box there and I've got nothing else, I'll read the darn box. Yep. Yeah. I'm reading, the, have frequently read the direction. There's a hot sauce out now with uh, the uh, Tabasco brand on it and Michelini and company on the label. Yeah, but they're right down the road from me. Okay, well. Literally, they're right down the road. Well, I've been down the, your road then. <laughs> Dad used to sell Tabasco and I would travel around with him and we would go visit them from time to time. But anyway, this new hot sauce, which is Sriracha, I think is how is the one that was really putting a dent in their sales because it's it's really hot and very good and, and so on. Suddenly I notice on the not they haven't changed regular Tabasco, but the uh the, the new Tabasco Sriracha, I wish I had a bottle in front of me, I could read it exactly what it says on the label um, is their version of the hot one that was kicking them a little bit not too long ago so somebody went to somebody sriracha went to them or they went to sriracha and they put together this thing where you get the recognizable tabasco brand the logo that we all know etc then talking about reading, waiting for a piece of toast to pop up or something. I flipped over the bottle of this favorite hot sauce of mine now. And I was reading down through the label and you know how they have the ingredients in order in which they appear. There was, you know, water, vinegar, uh, the last ingredient, the one in which there is the least of it is Tabasco sauce. <laughs> Everything else is marketing. Just, right. you know, here's a label you know it's in the right place on the shelf in the store uh it's red <laughs> people waitresses will say to me oh, what do we have this and this and this i said red and hot that, that's what i want it's red and hot almost any brand will do but when you get down to the end i'm picturing somebody from tabasco walking past a hundred gallon vat of this new stuff and shaking two drops in it so they can say there's some in it <laughs> but is on the front it is the label the logo tabasco on the back it's the last thing in it <laughs> so, yeah, but, but where i, where I thought I that from. is good it that, is. You know about sales and marketing wow and they're good i mean they've been around here for a long long time but to me tabasco sauce that's i don't like ketchup it's a bunch of sugar in a tomato that's that's just mm -hmm. nasty stuff oh yeah. like i don't eat hot dogs unless it's wrapped in a flour tortilla with onions and tabasco sauce that's a hot dog yeah, i'm with you I you can't that. fool me otherwise like nope you're not gonna give me you know pickles and a bunch of white bread no 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 where's the tabasco no tabasco i'm out of here I'll take Tabasco or mustard and onions, chopped up onions. That's all I want on a hot dog. And I've had the fancy ones and the chili dogs and all that stuff. Just where is the mustard or Tabasco and where are your onions chopped that's up? Classic. That's classics. And, you know, we're supposed to be talking about sales, which we kind of are. 
because we are with marketing we uh, are on the tabasco brand yeah yeah definitely and in fact when when i would travel back home you know to go visit my parents i would always take a little mini tabasco bottle with me because i knew they were going to try to give me some bland kind of stuff mm-hmm. whatever it was it's like no i would take tony sachery's seasoning with me and tabasco sauce and I never got home with it. Somebody would always manage to get it out of my purse before I got home. A brother, or sister, somebody always swiped. They appalled off with it. Or the uh, people at the gate. Who are... <laughs> oh, they'll make you throw it away. The last time I went through, they said, you can't take, it was salsa of some kind I'd picked up. And it was, I, I'm still mad about it. They made me throw it in the trash. Whoever that person was. I hope that she had a miserable life. I really do. (laughs) I believe as soon as you got out of sight, she reached in the trash can. Yeah, they took it. You know, they had a lot of fun. (laughs) Yeah, they all had a picnic in the back. (laughs) (laughs) Cookies, you know, bottles of water. Just, it's ridiculous. But anyway, I wanted to talk with you. And now I need something with Tabasco on. I'm going to make some scrambled eggs. All right. There you go. I haven't eaten today. So, but let's talk about the fearful. I mean, let's start there because there are strategies that you have that are proven effective in overcoming the fear of rejection and failure and scripting. I know is one of those, but what else can we tell people who are just like, oh, this is not for me. I can't do this. They're going to tell me no. I mean, I can hear it in my head. Yeah, you've got to screw up your courage to learn an effective script and use it just a couple of times. I've told you my experience where I was asked not to attend meetings anymore because I never brought anybody. (laughs) But I was there every night, so people thought I was good and making money like some of the people were. And uh, they would call me over and I'd blow off their prospects because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, But the... The first time I learned after being told not to come back to the meetings until I had, I learned the scripts and invited somebody using the invitation script and they came and then the meeting was given. And then the lights came up after the film said, turn to the person who brought you here and ask how you can get started in Holly Magic Cosmetics. And the people turned to me and I remember I almost couldn't catch my breath, but I started through the script and uh, scared to death. I understand the concept and thinking to myself, why did you join this business? Just wait for your father to die and inherit the food broker's business. Life could be simpler. And uh, so, which my father suggested when he fired me, (laughs) that's what I was up to. (laughs) I like your dad. (laughs) Fired me and Jimmy Rucker, my running buddy, on the same day. It was my birthday. Oh. But he, he said, there's Rucker out in the lobby. And I said, yeah, he said, bring him in here. And so Jimmy came in and he said, Rucker, I, you two are sewn together at the hip. You do everything together and everything. And you're in this new business together. God bless you. Uh, and tonight we're having the birthday dinner, 730. You know, be there and for Ben's birthday. And he said, oh, yes, sir, Mr. Gay. I sir will. He said, so I'm going to give Ben his birthday present now, and I'm going to give you yours early, if you don't mind. Jimmy says, in October. He said, oh, no, sir, I don't mind. He says, oh, great, you're both fired. He said, I'm giving you I really like your dad. Yeah, he said, you don't have the courage to go do what you're doing. We were making more. We have to split it. 
but we were making more a month than my father was probably making a year and uh, still hanging on to our little uh, retail detail jobs. So I understand fear. Uh, first time I spoke in front of a big crowd, well, for me, a big crowd started about 500, but then the first time I spoke in front of 5,000 people, I gave serious consideration to slipping out the door, going up to my room and pretending like I had slept through the experience. I had a whole story made up in my mind. And somebody, thank God, up in the rafters knew who I was or had been told to look for me, put a spotlight on me because the introduction was starting and I couldn't get out of the room. So if you're fearful about asking for the order, fearful about using the script, fearful about giving sales presentations, I've been there. Here was my cure. I did it once and it worked. Gave my little presentation to five people, as best I recall, five buying units. Husband, wife is one. Guy by himself is one. And so on to five buying units. Gave my little presentation. All five agreed to buy. Four got out their checkbooks and wrote checks. Yes, it was before credit cards. Wrote checks, and the other one wanted to needed some time to do, put some financing together. And I made more money that night, and not counting somebody else gave the meeting in my little ten minute presentation uh, than than I had made ever in a year. And that's what cured me. I don't mean it was without nerves, but uh, now I paw the ground waiting to get in front of a customer. It's what I do. It's what I'm good at. When I'm speaking, people say, are you scared to go on stage? I said, no, that was 40 years ago. Now I'm pawing the ground. Let me on. Let me on. That's enough introduction. Call out my name. Let me go. Because... I got successful on stage. I got successful giving sales presentations. I got successful in asking for the order and it became fun. Now, you know, I'm shocked occasionally about 14% of the people I talk to for one reason or another don't buy. And that still shocks me. Buying doesn't shock me anymore. I expect them to buy because I'm a professional who has learned his presentations, whatever the product or service is, while well, I'm selling land in Arizona, hearing aids in Oregon, uh, my own books and seminars and so on. I'm good at what I do and I expect them to buy. But the only way to do it is to do it. You've got to take action and try it once or twice or three times. And once you have some victories under your belt, you can't wait to get to the next one. Where most people, salespeople, die is they never get the nerve to do it once or twice. I've hired salespeople and sent them out on chores and found out they never got, you know, calls, leads, found out they never got to the first one. They just went home. Got, you know, went through a sales meeting. In some cases, went through a week-long sales meeting. Were given their lead, got in their car. And went home. It's like, and then wouldn't answer the phone. Uh, so it is a legitimate fear. Fear of public speaking is the number one psychological fear. I've read in many studies. I have no reason to disbelieve it. Number one psychological fear ahead of death by fire. Second has got to be 
uh, right up there is asking for the order, giving a presentation and asking for the order. And the only way around around it is to do it. Zig Ziglar, when I started watching him before he worked for me later, um, I offered to carry that pump he always had with him, the old farm pump. I said, if, if he either asked me or I asked him, if I carry that pump in with you, which you shouldn't be seen hauling through a hotel lobby, you're too good for that. Let me do it. In exchange, I want to sit on the front row, take notes, and maybe have lunch or dinner with you after the session. He said, deal. So I carried that stupid pump. In the early days, it was a real cast iron cast pump. Iron. Yeah. And it was when he finally got the new shiny aluminum one, I was thrilled. Uh, but I've hauled that pump into, I don't know, 50 or 100 meetings. But what he was slowly teaching me was I wasn't going to learn how to speak watching him speak. I could pick up tips, but he said, you got to do it. In selling, you've got to make the presentation and ask for the order. Scary though it is, you have to do it. If you won't do it, you're screwed. Speaking the same way, uh, when I've probably over, spread over several conversations, the gist of what Zig taught me was speak. Get up in front of groups and speak. But, I, but I'm not any good, Zig. Of course you're not. You haven't done this before. But you'll get good or embarrass yourself out of the business by speaking. So speak to service clubs, speak here, speak there, speak for free, do this, do that. And then he, I've told you this many times, he, he would say Ben Gay would work a traffic accident. And I said, <laughs> well, that's your fault, Zig. You told me wherever two or more people are gathered together, speak. And then it got easier and easier and easier. And I got better and better and better. And then instead of selling five people at a table, I've sold a significant percentage you know, 15,000 people with one sales presentation from the front of the room. So it killed two things. I learned how to give a presentation. I learned how to ask for the order, send them to the back of the room. And I learned how to speak effectively. And you That's, also learned how to listen. Yes. Yeah, listen is really key because they will tell you exactly what they want, how they want to pay for it. Or sometimes they'll tell you precisely why they're never going to buy from you. That's fine, too. Freeze up the rest of the day. And as Tom Hopkins or somebody used to be fond of saying, when you miss a sale, yell to yourself internally, next, <laughs> and get on to the next one. Don't sit there wallowing in your problems. If the presentation was good or is getting good through practice and refinement, you're going to do fine. Assuming you're selling a quality product or service that's reasonably priced, doesn't have to be the cheapest, reasonably priced, and you're spending your time in front of qualified people. That's the Robin Hood concept. Why, why would you give your... somebody? I heard somebody talking the other day I've never been, it's an old adage, but I haven't heard it in a while. Someone said, you know, the rich are bad and, the, and so on. And they said, well, that's probably true for some of them, but I've never been hired by a poor person. Exactly. I've never had anybody give me any significant amount of money who was poor. You have to go, as my brother-in-law said about trout fishing, you have to go where the trout are. 
And yeah, exactly. I just kind of drew a blank there because I was thinking, you know, back to a cow field, a bunch of cows, you could always tell when the fish were biting because you could watch the cows. I'm not joking. Mm -hmm. um, I don't even know where that came from. It's just an old memory. But one of the things that I wrote down, I wanted to kind of comment, you're talking about, you know, the fear of rejection and failure and, you know, for the fearful, I'm wondering if many of them have an unconscious bias or even recognize that they already have a deep bias against public speaking, because that's what we're all doing. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And they carry their own objections around with them. If you think your product is overpriced, that's all you'll hear from your customers. Cost too much, cost too much, cost too much. They got that from you. And, wow. you know, I, I could never get them to speak in front of a group. Well, a group is a relative term. You know, a group could be two people or five people or the other people sitting at the boardroom table. But I could never get up and do that. Well, you're going to have to get over that or you're screwed. Go work for the DMV. And yeah, you're gonna exactly. Get a job. Yeah. It's just not going to work. So then that kind of takes us into the grateful. How does a grateful mindset contribute to building lasting client relationships i mean i've done it you've done it how do they go from oh my god i can't do this i won't do this mommy to hey this was fun i'm gonna do it again well one is do it and, yeah and that will come whether you intended it to come or not and two gratefulness it's in my morning and evening prayer little section of the prayer uh, jesus says every morning oh my god he's up here goes the next 15 minutes. Uh, but in the section... Even means the devil says, oh, crap, she's awake. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jesus has to sit through my prayers. And they're probably a little long. They have that new thing, hallow. I've seen advertised where they'll help you pray for X oh, number of dollars <laughs> a month or something. I can pray Seriously? for free. Oh. You know, <laughs> I don't need an interpreter. But some of the, even Franklin Graham does a thing for Samaritan's Purse. You know, if you've never prayed, bow your head and say this prayer with me. And their prayers are very short and concise and generic. And I think, I wonder if I could get away with that uh, because yeah. mine are not short or generic or whatever. <laughs> but anyway, I said all that to say this. Among the things I ask for is, Lord, please help make me a better, stronger, kinder person filled with gratitude and asking for to be filled with gratitude is very selfish on my part because I found that when I am filled with gratitude, I treat people better. When I treat people better, they treat me better. What you hand out comes back. Yay. Tenfold. It's true. And they treat the people around them better. Yes. It's, yep. just, you know, it's like a concentric, you shove a, or you toss a, a pebble into the water and you watch those concentric circuits, wide, circles widening and widening. It's the same thing. If you're vicious to somebody, oh, Lord, the people around them are going to be, it's just nasty. Just gratitude is a good thing. The, I was talking with someone the other day and I quoted Ogman, my old friend Ogman Dino, almost verbatim something he had told me and I got to thinking as as I was saying it he said that to me casually over dinner one night and here I am 
40 plus years later repeating it. You never, and, and probably doing as much good for the person I'm talking to as Og did for me. And so you never know how far the ripples will go, good or bad, but they will go. And uh, you will have a positive or negative effect on somebody uh, that lasts way beyond your imagination and probably way beyond your life. I had uh, I was talking to a gentleman from my old neighborhood in East Lake, Atlanta, uh, and he, he said, I don't remember. Truth is, I didn't remember him with a little refresher. I remember he was a neighborhood kid. But he said, uh, I don't know if you remember when I came to your house. Answer, no. I didn't tell him that, but no. And he said, your father uh, came out of the back room into the living room. He said, with such style and grace and sat down. And he said, I forget why he would have known I was having this problem. Maybe he overheard it or something. I don't know. But he nailed the solution to my problem perfectly in about two sentences. Then he got up, put on his sunglasses, went off to play golf. He said, Ben, that was almost 70 years ago. And I think of it uh, like it happened yesterday. And I thought, God, I wish dad had known. He had that effect on a lot of people, me included, but I wish dad had known. But maybe he knew that, you know, you, it's like the the master sower in the, in the Bible. Some falls on rocky ground, some falls on whatever. He knew to keep sowing, keep throwing the seeds out there, and some would take root and blossom and everything would be good. But I, but I was really struck by that. I thought, you know, when you're talking to someone casually, you don't know. You don't they, know. Yeah, their grandchildren may be quoting that 70 years from now. See, I don't even have anything else to say. That You don't? I don't. I'm, I'm going to put a plaque in this spot, a brass plaque. This I would is like where gold you... if you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> This is where you were sitting when Denise Griffiths ran out of things to say. Well, I ran out of smart things to say it anyway. <laughs> I mean, but that is an amazing story. And you're right. You never know when somebody's going to remember something that you said at the right time, at the right moment, in the right tone. And it impacted them so profoundly that they're, it's still with them many years down the road. Well, I'm here talking to you today because Ogmandino saved my life with just a quick little story. He prevented me doing something incredibly stupid, involved having a gun in my mouth. And uh, so he saved my life. We would not be talking without Ogmandino telling me this little quick story about a problem he'd had in his life. And uh, other people, I've done the same, sometimes inadvertently. A gentleman was telling a mutual friend of mine one day how I'd saved his life. I didn't remember the conversation, but he heard the right thing at the right time. How did I know to say the right thing to him? I read. I, I talk to people and I listen to what they say. Yeah, I use the same technique socially uh, when uh, affecting lives in human potential movement type situations. Uh, that I do in selling. Listen, have their best. I, as in the closers, some ter part one, some tertius, 
I am third. My God first, the other fellow second. I am third. And I try and keep that in mind, literally in mind when talking to people, in, whether it's a sales situation or a life changing or life saving situation. I am third. You're moving your ego way out of the way. Mm -hmm. Okay. That makes perfect sense. I don't remember you telling me about Augmentino. You'll have to tell me that when we're offline. Sometime. Okay. Because, you know, my friend Jim Tunney was good friends with Og Mandino, and I've got several, you know, I'm aware of him. I've read his books, and, you know, who doesn't know who Og Mandino is? So that's definitely a story I want to hear. And as usual, we are out of time. I did not have an opportunity, though, to ask you about the um, how organizations for the amateurs, how organizations can best support they're enthusiastic learners, but I think we kind of covered it anyway. Yeah. You covered it by saying, you know, go to these organizations, get up, you know, speak, you know, encourage them. Yes, you're you're going to be a public speaker. I don't care if you're talking to one woman and you're trying to sell her a spatula. You're still public speaking. So learn how to do it. Learn how to make good eye contact. Learn how to listen. Watch those little micro expressions if you're one-on-one. -on -one. Pay attention. They will tell you exactly how they want to buy. Ben, where can people find you, your mentoring program? And of course, my entrepreneurial library started with the closers. Where can they find the sales Bibles, the closers? Uh, go to, here's the best place, special pricing and free shipping, although I still sign and date them. You're buying them from another company, but the, the idea is the same. Uh, you go to stores, S-T-O-R-E-S dot eBay dot com forward slash Ronzoni Books, all one word, R-O-N-Z-O-N-E-B-O-O-K-S. Everything there comes with an unconditional lifetime, no questions asked, money-back guarantee. And as I said, better pricing than you can get at my website and free shipping. So that's where you get the closers and several other books that we offer, recommend. There is a closers one, a closers two, three, four is being written, five, uh, and and on. So uh, that's where you go. Well. That was... um. What is his name? Um, he's Greek, right? Can't remember his name now. But I have part three. Yeah. yeah. Democracy. I have a tough Democrat time for now. Yeah. Democracy. Uh, Paul Democracy. Yeah. Democracy. <laughs> nice guy. As, yeah. as many times I've talked to him, uh, I haven't had the nerve to say, you know, have you ever known somebody so long you can't ask them what their name is? Well, it's Democritu. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. That's what yeah. I say. <laughs> but, uh, and he's had his his own problems. He's had some real health issues. Yeah, but I think he he's has. okay now for right now. But anyway, okay, we're going to have to say goodbye. So everybody, if you need to get in touch with me, Ben has told you how to find him. I'm distressingly easy to find online. And you are welcome to contact me directly. Just call my toll-free number at 888-719-6711. 
be sure to leave a message and I will return your call just as quickly as I can within 24 hours, definitely. So thank you everyone for joining us and be sure to find us on your partner in Success Radio. Just look for our names or the Closers Inner Circle podcast. Honestly, you can't throw a stick on the internet without hitting this podcast. And Ben, before I let you know, what are we talking about next week? Well, next week, I thought it would be good if we talked about, I'm trying to find my bookmark, uh, on page 43, don't let them distract you. Don't let them distract you. Okay. Got it. I will be there with bells on. And a good <laughs> attitude. I'll even bring my good attitude this time. All right. I know, huh? <laughs> so, Note your calendars, folks. Oh, I'm gonna get a, <laughs> We're gonna go from a bronze plaque to a gold plaque. Eventually, you're gonna owe me a platinum one, so <laughs> or an aluminum one, whatever comes first. Anyway, thank you, Ben. Love you. Talk to you next week. <laughs>